Guys, this week's guest is coach Brent Laver. Brent has seen it all as a coach in the AIHL and is entering his eighth season as coach with the Melbourne Ice organization. Over those years, he's played a big part in that organization's ability to develop young players and get them ready for the AIHL level or even the national team level. Brent's desire to be a lifelong learner of the game is I think is a great example of what it takes to be a leader and a coach in today's game. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please welcome Brent Labor. Appreciate you coming on. Um, I don't know nah. if you watched any of the ones we've done, but we we kind of started during the COVID of just getting more stuff out there for coaches. Like we work with a lot of young coaches up here in New South Wales, and yeah, there's just not, as you know, there's not a lot of resources. Nah. So no, nah, it's brilliant. I think it's a it's a great concept because you're right. It's um, you know, I think I battled I battled with that a lot, especially early days. You just always I, I always just felt like I was behind the players. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. the players are always in front of you. Um, so yeah, to have some sort of mentoring, I, th- I think what you guys are doing is awesome because it, it, you know, it just gets forgotten, you know, it's, it's yeah. just like, oh, we need some coaches. Well, let's just get some past players. And, and yeah, you know, ha- totally. how many times do you see in pro sport that, you know, um, having a resume of being able to perform a skill doesn't necessarily tr- transfer to being able to coach. So it's, um, Absolutely. I think it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. And you, and you see like a lot of coaches, I know when I was coming up at the top and you just kind of were in awe of them. And it's not yep. till you start talking to those coaches, both in Australia and overseas and get to know them and, and realize that although they're way ahead of you, like with, with experience and, and knowledge that it's really no different. And that's what no. gave me a lot of confidence as a coach. So hopefully talking to guys like yourself, and <clears throat> the other guys I've had on, the young coaches, well, I know in talking to some of them they are, but they're getting that confidence being like, man, yeah, it's, it's the things they've gone through or are going through are exact same of what, what we're feeling Absolutely. kind of getting and, and, your foot in the know, door as a coach. Exactly. And, and each time you, you make what you think is another step up the rung, it, it's those same insecurities, those same, um, uh, you know, self-doubt. It's it's no different. It's yeah. it's it's exactly the same. So it's yeah, and you're right. And the thing is, I think you know, you learn pretty quick that um, you know, I think that's the 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 biggest lesson in all of this is that you you don't know every, you don't know everything, and then you get to the realization that you actually never will. But, yeah, exactly. It's, so a, it's a moving it's, target. It's a it's a it's a it's just a you know it's. And it's changing. It's changing with society. It's changing with um, with education. It's changing. Like you've got a shift, and you know that you know you, you hear the term thrown around all the time. Oh, he's an old school old school coach. It probably probably won't gel now, and all because you, you've got a shift and you've got to move, and and you know you've got to sort of roll with the times a bit as well. So true. Well, look, I want to I want to talk about a. a f- a few things with you, but to kick yeah. it off really like when your playing days came to an end, what, what drew you into coaching or is it something that you'd always um, had aspirations to do? I, I think initially it's still because you just want to be part of something and, and that's sort of your way to, um, uh, and, and it's a double-edged sword because I think that's your way to stay part of a club 
part of being around the boys, part of the 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 funny, really um, special times of the the shooting the shit before practice and all, all the fun stuff. Um, so I think it's your your vehicle to get um, still involved with that. But the double edged sword of that is that I know as an as a young coach, I coached like a player. So I was writing everything, every hit, every goal against, every goal for, every bad shift. It was like the, it was like a friggin' roller coaster, you know what I mean? Like I was still coaching like a player. So, um, yeah, but I think it's just the connection and being part of it still. I think that's you sort of trying to hold on to something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, it, and that's, so that's probably where it started. And, um, yeah, just, just, to, just to want to stay involved and be around the boys and, with with AFL, because um, obviously I've got a, a big AFL background and and hockey, that's what you realise when you stop. It's it, it's almost yeah you you miss the love of the game, but you just miss those connections more than anything. And and when you step back in, like when I stepped back in uh, as a football coach initially, I remember just standing listening to the guys. They they do them. It was still a bit old school. You do your mandatory couple of laps around the oval and then stretch, and just the stuff that was going on was just like, yeah, this this is what you miss. Like it's you know you, you got your clowns and you got your you know your boys. You know you got the young boys telling them telling everyone about their you know their war stories from the weekend. <laughs> it's um you know you realise that's what you what you really miss the most. So you had had a, a AFL coaching background before you started coaching in hockey. Yeah, I coached yeah. hockey. Um, I coached. Um, I, I was doing a, a degree in sport and rec uh, straight out of high school, and um, I was able to link part of that to um, to coaching. So I, I jumped into the development council in Melbourne at Oakley, um, and that was then run by Elgin Loop. Um, and had Jaffa Watson, Ian Holmes, Simon Holmes, like, you know, um, just some, some absolute beauty. So, so I sort of got, um, you know, I got to spend probably two straight years with those guys and then coached um, some of the junior teams in, in Melbourne. So, um, and probably a little bit of crossover to inline then too. That was when inline was sort of really sort of exploded a little bit there. And um, there was a crossover to coaching some, um, you know, inline state teams and things like that. So it was, um, yeah, it was, was, was sort of, it sort of kicked off there. And then, um, yeah, and then, then I sort of stepped away when Jacob was born, um, probably stepped away. And we're also, you know, we were really, really heavily involved in building the business. So there was just no, um, almost no room for it then. Um, and then had the opportunity to go back and coach 40. So... I, I yeah, jumped okay. at it and loved it. Nice. Look, I grew up in Melbourne as well, and, and I remember yep. um, what the scene was like back then before the the ice or even the AIHL existed, and yep. the, the senior A comp in Melbourne was the highest yeah, level was, of hockey in Melbourne. It was. Yeah, it, um, was, uh, it, was, it was good. It was... Um, really underrated, it was intense, Super intense, um, you know, and, and I, remember, I remember driving to Oakley some nights where you'd have to park five or six streets away um, mm -hmm. uh, to get into the place. And um, yeah, so it was, it, was a, it was a fun, crazy, hostile yeah. <laughs> environment. And, um, you know, I mean, 
my introduction, I was 16 or so when I started playing in that, in that um, uh, Premier A comp, Senior A, whatever they called it then. And, and you know, I was doing, um, doing development council during the week with guys like Holmesy. And then I remember he busted two of my ribs on Saturday night. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was, you know, and he thought it was, he thought it was great. He thought it was, you know, and, and I sort of did, you, know, you sort of feel part of it. So it was, um, no, it was, it was good. It was fast. It was fun. It was, you know, even Oakley being Oakley, you put, yeah. you put 10 grown men on that rink. And uh, there's not a lot of space. There's yeah. not. A lot, there's not. Well, a lot of it really was a man's game back then. But you were part of that demons team that. Yep. That you know, and I'm not up to date on the history, but it would have to be one of the most successful teams to ever play in, in yeah. Melbourne or Victoria. Nah, look, we, we had a run. It was funny because when I started, when I started in that A grade team, um, the first year we lost to the Saints, who who won their. 10th in a row and that was Sandy Gardner, Scotty Davidson, Mottram okay. Brothers, um, Paul Doney, like the list goes on and on yeah. and on. It was almost our, our national senior men's team. Um, so we were, we were in awe of those guys. And then um, not, I think 97 kicked it off, like 97 um, uh, Fridge, uh, Andrew Petrie came across from the, the, the Blackhawks, um, Brian Vallecott came across, Scott Kelly came across. Um, and not only did, did that make an incredible team um it just built a, a nasty full-on fun rivalry with the the blackhawks so it was um yeah there was some fun saturday nights at either oakley or ringwood back then <laughs> so i guess talking a bit, little bit about that team that whole culture like yeah what was that like was that something that was well what was the culture like in general and was that something it, driven by the the players or the coaches where did it come from it, it was intense. Um, it was it was pretty one-minded um, right from the start. And and when Mike Lund and and Jamie Edwards came in um, from 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 Canada, uh, that it just went up a whole nother level again. Um, just the the practice intensity, the um, and and yeah, we 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 made almost made a decision without even talking about it that we we're going to do nothing else except win. Yeah, and um, and it was awesome. But we did everything together. Like it, it you know. Um, I mean, those two guys landed, came to the rink, and had you know really no idea what they were going to do, and they left working at at had a job at Bladeworks with Fridge, and were living with Fridge and Valley like that night. Yeah. Wow. So it was it was amazing, and and it just clicked, and we just um, we did everything like. We, we were together um, three, four, five times a week for that whole season. Um, like just getting so, out, social oh, getting out, socially, training, playing, um, you know, and, and it was, yeah, it was, it was the best, most incredible year I've, I've had in sport, really. It was um, Who it were was the coaches phenomenal. back then? We had Rod Johns, who was, um, you know, he's, he's now the, um, I'm not sure what they call it, GM or... Or, um, or at, at the Mustangs and has been for some time. And, yeah. and look, I'll tell you what he was brilliant at is managing the, the big personalities because there, there were some really big personalities in that yeah. room, um, especially back then, um, you know, because we, we hadn't really, we had a lot of growing up to do, no doubt. <laughs> but um, but it, was, it was amazing. And he did a great job of that. He did a great job of that. And, um, 
you know, and, and kept it together. And, and he's a, he's a funny guy, dry sense of humor, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, he's, he's got his funny little sayings and no, it was, it was just fun. I just like, we, we did, we did crazy stuff. Like, you know, we dyed our hair for playoffs and, uh, and, you know, got tattoos after we won and, and like, it was just, wow. it, it was just full on. It was, uh, it was, it was awesome. So you were, you were fortunate to be part of that culture. How much of that kind of experience as a player from that culture did you take into your coaching, trying to, trying to replicate that? Um, or, well, or was it just parts? Well, I think when, when we had Valley, the combination of Valley Fridge, Fridges, Fridges, um, he still, to this day, um, sees the ice as well as just about any player I've either played with or coached. Um, and I learned an amazing amount from him that year, just watching, listening. Um, you got John Moses in there as well. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, Eddie and Ned. Um, Lund was just a firecracker, just mad, you know, um, kid from Regina who just um, doesn't back down from anything. And uh, so his energy was incredible. Um, you know, Valley's friggin' slap shot from the point which is still one of the heaviest shots i've ever witnessed and you know you just had to try and hope that it didn't hit you in the teeth and you know it was it was awesome and yeah i i, I probably learned a lot that year i i hadn't um that was my first real exposure to to x's and o's hockey where i'd grown up as a kid in in australia where you learn the skills and you play the game but it's very probably almost one dimensional really. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the first time I had to try and, you know, I had a job. I had to go to the corner, work hard, move the puck, go to the corner, work hard, move the puck. Like it was, you know, and um, it's, it's the, I probably took that learning um, with me. I think um, I, I probably learned more in that 12 months than I had in the previous 10 years. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably a common thing with all coaches. When we think back to our own hockey experience, whether it be at a, at a high level like that, or even a minor hockey level, and we can all take something. I, I still remember the, the first coach that taught me how to cycle the puck and referred yep. to it as the, the recycle logo you see on a can or a bottle and just coming <laughs> yep. out of the corner, putting the puck back in, like reusing it, recycle. And, yep. and, and that was kind of a moment similar to yours where, where you had a role, it's like, oh, it just really clicked. And, um, yeah. and you kind of bring all yeah, those, those think, things um, on with you. It was definitely that. And, and I, was, I, I was definitely, um, my DeFreeze Tange Brown, back then when the Goodall Cup was the, was the senior um, um, yeah. you know, national tournament, um, my late year DeFreeze Tange Brown years were, were under Jaffa. So, um, yeah, so, so I think, um, and I was always in awe um, that, that that man could have all of those teams would, like, if he said, hey, go headbutt the wall, I, I would not hesitate. I'd just, yeah, like, yeah. He, you'd walk across broken glass for the guy. So, um, and I guess I tried to, I probably tried to emulate that um, a little bit as a young coach, and then you sort of realise that there's there's only one Jaff, you know, like you, yeah, you can't yeah. you can't redo Jaff. <laughs> totally. So, 
you're in that great environment with that with a, a great club, and then you join the Melbourne Ice in a coaching role, mm-hmm. um, an environment that you were new to with the Ice. What kind of environment yep. did you walk into when you first uh, joined the club? Look, to be honest, I, I probably came in um, because they, there was a few, uh, a few, you know, a few fractured relationships, a few challenges, um, and that's probably what it was. I was having conversations with people involved um, and I guess that sort of one thing led to another to me actually then having the opportunity to come in um, and work as an assistant coach for for 2013. Um, you know, and it, and, it, and it came at the back of, um, you know, some, some really tumultuous times. You know, we had uh, Joey and Vinny left. I came in just after that. So literally the week after that. All, all sort of blew up. Um, so yeah, it was um, it it was a it was a challenging time, but probably was a great introduction for me because it sort of sat in my wheelhouse pretty well. Um, you know that that it was more about um, managing men and around what was going on more than it was probably about X's and O's hockey coaching right then which was probably good because I had so much to learn. Um, so I was probably able to draw on those skills um, and, and hopefully had a little bit of an impact on, on what was going on fairly quickly. That's a, that's a rough time to walk in, especially like when the Hughes brothers exited and, and like you said, it, it wouldn't have been easy. But I guess when you were in the role of head coach, what were some yep. of the first kind of identity or cultural things that you implemented uh, with the team? Look, I think, um, I think what we did that summer of 2013, um, early 2014, say through January and February, um, there was, there was a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of identifying. I think, I think what I was able to do through 13 is really identify um, the, where the, the sort of power sat in the room, so to speak. Um, and, and I was able to probably tap into that. And there was a lot of catch-ups, a lot of conversations, a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of group stuff right through that preseason. Cause we started that 2014 preseason in November 13. Wow. Wow. So, so it was, and um, I had very, very, I was incredibly lucky to have some really good lieutenants. Um, you know, Glennie Mayer, um, retired that year, then came with me as a coach. Um, we had Johan there. Um, James Meredith was our strength and conditioning guy. And, and he had him, he basically took them from November and he ran it. And he's a, like, he's a pro at what he does. He's all, he's unreal. Um, and a real culture guy too. So he's, he's linking, I guess what we spoke about was that we tried to have sessions that were hard enough and grueling enough and had little, little, little things in them that they could then reach back on as a group and say, Oh yeah, remember we got through that. And yeah, remember we got through that. So it was, um, I guess it was all about unity, really unity and, and starting again. And almost um, we, we had a little saying that whatever, what, what happened on the outside of the glass doors at, at the rink was out of our control and, but as soon as you walked through that door, um, there was a certain expectation. We just set a level. We just set a, we, you know, there was some, there were four or five key non-negotiables um, and we just stuck to them. 
Love that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that. Of It needs to feel, if you're going to go after something special, it needs to feel different early. And I think by, yeah. by starting in November, it's super early. But yeah. like you said, and putting them through some, uh, some punishing times that, that they could draw back on. I know a lot of people um, kind of scientifically have said like a bag skate, for example, oh, it's not great for conditioning this and that. And, and, and yeah, as a coach, it's not something you want to do a lot, but I do think that it, it does build you mentally that if it yep. is challenging and a real grind, you're almost puking. Yeah. Your conditioning may not be improving scientifically. Um, but it mentally, like you said, it's something you can go back it, to and it, think, man, man exactly. I was about to puke. I can, I, can, it, I got It was totally deep. mental. And James had an amazing way of building those sessions um, and then being able to work with me so that he was able to help me structure even ice sessions, which he knew nothing about. He's a big AFL, um, you know, strength and conditioning, um, you know, that, that grew to love the game and learn the game. Um, but then, you know, he'd only been in and involved in a couple of years and he was so incredibly good at being able to, um, help me build sessions that would push them to that point. But yeah, they weren't, you would never have, if you were watching, you would have gone, Oh, you just bag skated. Like it was all hidden and it was all, um, relative to the game and it was all, um, you know, and, and it was, it, it, there were just three or four key things that happened that year. One was he was able to do that and give them points of reference. Um, two, I was incredibly, call it luck, call it, um, uh, you know, it could be egotistical and say it was good management or, or whatever you want to look at it. But um, I got buy-in from key guys. And that, man, I, I, I remember talking to Will Brody when he wrote the book in... Um, at the end of 2014 and, and one night after a Newcastle game, actually, we were, um, we, were, we were at the hotel and we were talking until like four in the morning and may or may not have snuck in a couple of reds. But um, <laughs> uh, he, and I remember, I remember saying to him that, that I, I remember one night early in preseason, we're on the ice and I don't know if he meant to do it. I've asked him a couple of times and I remember I was talking and the group was at a certain distance in front of me and army Matt Armstrong came in and then the whole group came in and it was, I'll never forget it. And, and it almost gave me kudos in a way. Like it was really, yeah, it was one of those um, subconscious sort of things that happened and, but it was a really key moment in, um, in, in probably my confidence and him helping me get buy-in with the group. Um, that, yeah, so it was awesome. Yeah, there was some pretty cool things that happened early in 2014, and and um, yeah, look, it um, you know, and we 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 had a pretty good run. That's excellent. It's a, it's a special moment, and and it's great that you can recall that because yeah. leaders like Armstrong in that moment um, can do so much when when to them, sometimes they're really not doing anything at all, but they're exactly. always being And, and he was probably unconscious of it. Um, look, I was lucky I had, um, Liam, Liam became captain. Um, I had great buy-in from, from Jason Backley, who was the captain the year before and, and, and had decided he, he really didn't want to take it on again. 
Um, you know, and, and, and as I said, I, I had, um, I had some unbelievable lieutenants, um, you know, with, with Johan and Glennie and, and those guys. And I've always been lucky, you know, strong characters, Drew Carfrey, Lats, you know, worked with, with Brad Bygon, you know, like all of those guys are, um, a high quality guys, but very strong characters and very different to me as well. So it's, it's good to have lieutenants that, that bring different skill sets, but, um, but yeah, the buy-in from Liam, um and and yeah they i'll never forget that that little that little um subconscious thing with matt but you know those and 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 i think that's where in our league um getting understanding the room understanding your power brokers in the room um understanding how that whole plays out and then also overlapping that with um with the way you recruit imports is is it, it can make or break it to be honest yeah, it's so key, the room, and Fridge spoke about that as well, about the fact that as a coach, you can't really pick your captains. It's got to come from the group uh, because you need to know who who has weight in the room, who who kind of has the final word because yep. those guys, whether they wear a letter or not, they're just naturally going to gonna lead the team. Yeah. Yeah, and look, that I had that, um, you know, uh, it was incredible to get like someone like Joey back in, in 16 and – and I'll, like you, t- you talk about little pivotal moments. We we'd had a really tough first period against the Sydney Bears. At um, um, we we're playing up in Queensland. They they had us playing a um, like a uh, we played a couple of games in Queensland, like to try and showcase it. Yeah. Um, and we'd had a really rough first period, and it, it was got a bit scrappy, and and there was almost like a little little bit of a scrap um, on the benches coming off into the rooms, and and. And I remember walking to the room and I was pretty hot and heated and, and, you know, I was, I was pretty upset. We, we had played a pretty poor first period. And, and I remember Joey just spinning around and he said, coach, I got this. And I was just like, yeah, but you go for it. <laughs> and um, like little things like, like to have, have leaders like that, that just know when it's right for the room to look after the room. Um, and so you then, didn't have to go in at all that intermission. I didn't. I didn't go period. in. I went in. I went in probably forty-five seconds before the start of the second. Wow! And we won the game, and you know we were we were good. And um, but yeah, little little like having people like that 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 understand enough to know when the energy sort of shifting that the boys need to find something themselves and taking responsibility for that was pretty mm. was pretty unreal. And also a good lesson for me um, to sort of shelve my ego a bit and say no no i need to i need to you know this is not the coach's time this is the the, the they need to look after it um which was which was you know and and i look i was lucky i had um i had a few of those moments with different guys that that you know took responsibility in really pivotal times yeah well you say you're lucky but but good people attract good people and, and it sounds like you had a great staff with your time there but looking oh, back yeah. now what advice would you give a a a coach joining a new team like what are some of the lessons you've learned from your introduction as a rookie coach um in invest in relationships first really really heavily invest in um in conversations um and really try and come at every session um thanks bud um brian i remember um sati said to me one night um he said listen if you do nothing else at a training, talk to every guy 
every session. Now that can be a five minute DNM about what's going on at home. It can be a tap on the pads as you go by saying, hey bud, how's, how you doing? And, and it was every player, every practice. And, and, um, and that, that was a big one. And, and just to invest, invest in the guys first before you come in, because I know that I went probably the other way. I tried to leverage on relationships that I already had in the room because a lot of those guys were 12 and 13 when I was playing. Mm -hmm. So I sort of knew and had coached a few of them, Tommy, Liam, those sort of guys, Toddy Graham. Um, and I probably tried to leverage that and then try and um, show everyone else like the imports and the North American guys, like how much hockey knowledge on you. And, you know, he, you know, but, and, oh man, like, um, and then I just, you know, you, you realize so quickly that it's, um, it, it's, it's so much more about man management and understanding the guys and getting the best out of those guys. But I, it, that took me, that took me 18 months, two years. And, and, you know, I think players that played under me um, probably bore the brunt of that, um, by probably not getting opportunities that they should have. Um, I probably tried to fit them into boxes. I probably tried to have a young guy that was highly skilled and probably was going to one day be a, a, you know, a, a top 20 goal scorer in our league. And I was trying to make him a fourth line and running guys. And, and it, you know what I mean? Like, and trying to fit them into boxes because I needed my checking line and I needed my scoring line and I needed my power play to do this and the second power play to do that. And, and then um, you know that was such a such a big learning curve that it's you know you you know and, and again I was always told that you don't get to coach the way you want to coach you get to coach the guys that you have and you take that and create the best package that you can and that was a huge lesson so if I was going to give if I was going to do it again I would have come in with far less about me and far more about them. And, and I, I learned that in probably year two, three. And then obviously when I got to work, um, you know, and spend time in, in North America, it, it became so ridiculously obvious to me that, um, you know, it's all man management. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. The, I like what you said there. And I know as a coach, it's so true. When you first step in, you want to just, just prove that you know a lot about the game and you, and, yep. and I, I know from personal experience, it's just like, blah, here's, here's yeah, everything absolutely. where you, you're almost going backwards at that point. It's, yep. you don't need to prove for any coach stepping into a role. You don't need to prove your knowledge that no. you need to do the right thing at the right time. And oh, you don't need absolutely. to show, Oh, I know everything about defensive zone coverage. If what the team needs right now is a strong forecheck. Yeah. And I found percent. Uh, and and then to 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 take that even a step further, um, you know, I got to work with a guy that would would see that happening during games and make shifts. Like, and you know, to someone that that basically coached shift on shift and could couldn't see how the next you know three shifts was going to unfold, let alone what the second period was going to look like. Um, you know, that was a huge learning as well that, that, you know, you've just got to, you might come in with plan A, B and C and plan F might win the game for you. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to be flexible and that, that's a little bit more difficult here, to be honest. And that's not a, that's not a blight on the Aussie sort of hockey mentality. 
but it is, and, and I know you've spent a lot of time there as well, so I think you'll understand this. Um, the flexibility in their thinking isn't the same. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for a guy to, to come off as a, um, you know, a third line center and suddenly go out two shifts later as a left wing on the first line and then come back and then Satya throw a D up because he, he, he's thinking they're going to have an impact in some other way. And these guys just don't even, don't even turn around. They don't even bat an eyelid. Mm. Like they just make the adjustment and go, we're here. Um, you know, if you change lines during a period, it can mess with guys' heads. Like, yes. you know, yeah. they're looking at you like, whoa. You know, they turn around and look and they're like, what do you mean? I'm, I was playing center. What, what do you mean right wing? You know, and, and yeah. so it, it is more challenging here. Yeah. Um, because the, 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 you know, sometimes guys can get so full on, they'll, they'll be sort of challenging you on why you're changing lines during a practice. <laughs> I know. And I found that with, uh, even like with line matching or whatever, you might, yeah. you might have a line out there for 10 seconds and, and pull them off yep. because of what the other team has there or where the face off is or the time of the game. And yeah, in Australia, I find the players are like, what I do wrong? You know, yeah, what <laughs> like, do I do? Pull oh, absolutely. Like, no, no, absolutely. And, 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 you know, we, we throw guys in, we throw a guy out, um, for a defensive zone face-off just to either not lose it or win it and he'd come straight off. Like, he was there for four seconds to not lose a face-off. Yeah. And yeah. he know, like, and they come off and they know and they slot back into the roster. So it's, um, it's, it's that's really different and that, that, um, that can be challenging. But I think if you work, again, if you invest in the relationships, you can slowly... Um, turn that around but you're right that the, the mentality usually is what have I done yeah what yeah. what you know what why you know why was that it? why are you calling me after a 10 second shift and a whistle um, you know and and yeah trying to break that down can be um, can can be tough but it can be done it, it just absolutely takes, just and takes it's some time. it's almost selling to the players like look you, you need to trust me that I'm always going to put you in the best situation to have success and yep. that may mean that you don't take these on face-offs because right. i want offense out of you in, in the ozone or that may yeah. mean that you don't play against the other team's top line um and you're going to be better for it and you're going to help our on. team because of that look and, I, and i've done it i've done it wrong the other way where you know we've got say three goals up and and i've gone oh Here's, here's my opportunity to be Mr. Good Guy. Let's throw out the, the, you know, the two rookies and the 16-year-old. They get scored on twice in one shift and they're devastated for 48 hours. And, yeah. you know, it, so, you know, you've got it. Yeah, it, it works the other way as well. Um, and I learned that, I learned that a couple of times, um, <laughs> you know, where you can, you can destroy guys um, the other way by trying to, trying to, you know, play Mr. Nice Guy and think, well, shit, you know, I can... Uh, I can bank some points with some parents and, and, and some supporters here and throw the young guys out and, you know, and then if they don't see the ice for the next game, I've got some points in the bank and it's just so wrong. It's, it's exactly it's the yeah. way it is. <laughs> no one, yeah. No one wants that garbage ice time, right? Nah, like, nah. Yeah, totally. So you, you've always come across to me as a guy who is just has a strong desire to keep learning and keep improving yourself as a coach. So yep. in particular, you've spent the past few years involved with, with senior hockey and, and junior hockey in central Alberta and in yep. particular with the Sutter family. Yep. Um, I guess, can you talk a little bit about that 
just how that came to be and how it's helped you grow as a coach? Um, well, th- this is the funny thing. It links back to that 1997 year. So, so Mike Lund lives in Sylvan now um, and we've stayed incredibly close over the last, what is it, 20 plus years, 25 years or something. Um, and um, yeah, now the families are close, wives are close. Jacob's living there at the moment. Jacob's, Jacob's living at Mike's place in Sylvan. Um, you know, and they're hiking and playing golf and working out and having fun. So um, uh, he works um, on the Sutter Fund, uh, which is a fund that the brothers have um, that raise money for, for all sorts of things in central Alberta. Um, you know, hospitals, um, homeless, youth, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty incredible like that. And they have a huge golf tournament every year. And, um, and Mike's, Mike has worked on that for a few years. And, and in particular, Brian um, is fairly heavily involved and, and, and um, chairs meetings and things like that. And so Mike, um, Mike got to know Brian and they were just talking about hockey coaching one night. And he mentioned, um, well, I was, I was coaching the 18s with laps at that time. I was actually in Sweden and, um, and I got a phone call and it was Mike saying, listen, I've just had a meeting with Satsi. Um, here's his cell phone number, call him. He's saying that you can come across and spend some time with him. And of course, I think he's taken the piss totally. So I think I'm ringing one of his buddies because I've got to know a few of his buddies as well because we've, we've been in Sylvan so much. So I think I'm ringing Teddy or one of the boys and they're just going to wind me up. So I ring and it's, it's frigging Brian. And we're on the phone for nearly an hour. Wow. And you know, when you come off the phone and you have one of those sort of almost like warm shower feelings, like, holy shit. And, and it was like that. Cause it was like talking to your uncle. Like he, um, man, just so humble, so down to earth. Um, and, and I, I walked out and, and Johan and, and laps were there. And I was just like, you're not going to believe what's going on. Like, um, I've got to go home and work it out, but it looks like I'll be heading to central Alberta in November. And, and that's what happened. And so I was able to do that for, for three or four years in a row. And um, uh, he also, um, Mike's all, also his good buddies with, with Colin Fraser, who, um, uh, and, and Fraz runs um, a, a school called Champion Hockey Development uh, in that central Alberta region. And um, I, was, I was doing three mornings a week with, with Fraz. And um, that was awesome. So that was top end. Um, Adam and Pee Wee kids. So, um, you know, the sort of the, the cream of the crop in that central Alberta region. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was, was, was unbelievable. And, um, you know, got to, got to go and watch um, a lot of practices and spend a bit of time with Brent Sutter. The, and um, he's obviously the, the owner and coach of the Rebels. And mm-hmm. um, so it sort of just flowed from there. And Brian's son, Sean, is uh, the assistant GM at the Rebels. Um, so, you know, it's it sort of all, once you sort of get to know a few of them and then, and then it got even more crazy and Jacob ended up um, living the last two years with, with Kevin Smith, um, who's uh, Ryan's older brother. So, right. um, uh, yeah, just, just unbelievable. And, and he played, Jake played and went to school with, um, with their uh, middle boy, Maguire, who's a, who's a beauty as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's just come from that. So very 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 lucky. Um, but um, Brian is uh, 
yeah, he's, uh, his values, um, the way he carries himself, the way he um, includes everyone, including families, kids, wives, um, you know, brings them in after games uh, into his, he's got a really nice little office set up uh, at the rink, a little coaching office and, and, you know, all the sponsors are in there, the wives, the girlfriends, the kids. Uh, and, you know, he, he tries to encourage them to come on buses on road trips and, um, you know, he, he just, just the way he goes about things and he's got an amazing ability when, when he's talking to you, he feels like he makes you feel like you're the only person in his world for that time. And, mm. and um, you know, and that, that's probably what I enjoyed the most. And the, the most incredible times I had was um, often I'd go pick him up from the farm, we drive to practice and then I drive him back and he, you know, he runs a, a huge Black Angus ranch in, in central Alberta there. And, and I'd walk around the, the paddocks with him at two o'clock in the morning, you know, minus 35 and, and, you know, looking at cows and he's telling me all about this one's going to, um, you know, give birth soon and we've got to move this one into the barn. And, and then we'd sit in his barn because he basically lives in his barn for, for four months while they're, all, um, while they're all carving and talk hockey and talk stories like till three, four, five in the morning. Like it's, um, uh, and I, you know, I just have this glow, you know, I, I, I almost like, um, I think, I think I floated home from the, <laughs> from the, from the ranch to where I was living more than drove, you know what I mean? Um, just lucky, just incredibly lucky. That's he's great. just a really giving guy and obviously incredibly knowledgeable and, and look, he's tough. Holy, you're like, man, um, you know, he, he, one thing, if you ever meet him and he goes to give you knuckles, don't do it because it, <laughs> it nearly breaks every bone in your hand. Um, and, you know, you're driving along and, and, and those trips to and from the rink and, um, you know, where he's telling stories and, and um, you know, talking about hockey and, and how important it is to, to relate this to this. And, this, you know, he, he was just so giving. Like, it was, mm. it was just constant and... Um, you know, and, and funny story, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Absolutely, but, um, yeah. Have but uh, I drove up the first first time we were, we were taking a road trip to um, Fort Saskatchewan in, our, in Alberta. And I, I drove up and I was obviously nervous as hell and hadn't really met anyone. And the bus turns up and Satsi comes off the bus and I walk over. He said, are you Brent? I said, uh, yeah. He goes, get on the fucking bus. <laughs> that was, that was, <laughs> um, but you know, all the way there. And all the way back, um, he made me sit next to him and it was, yeah, he just made you feel, um, you know, so part of it. And, and you had to earn though. Like, yeah, I, I had to, you weren't given respect. You weren't given, you, you had to earn it. And, and he would, if he asked your opinion, he wanted it and you gave it. And that's sort of, you know, and he'd ponder it. And, and there were some times where I'd walk into the room and he just had this glare and I'd be like, nah, nah, okay, not now. <laughs> not the time. That, that, so, yeah, that skill, lucky. when you said, uh, when he talks to you, you feel like you, you're the only thing going on in the world right now. You just yeah. really have that connection. I, I've had that with some people as well. And, and it's a, do you think that's a skill that you can learn and acquire because um, it's a special, like I've come across it a few times, but it's mm. a, it's a special ability 
Um, it is. Um, it, with, I remember Brian, meeting you. Uh, I, look, I don't know. I, 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 I think if you continue to, um, to try and self-develop, you can probably... Um, and if you, if you get outside of yourself enough to realise that, you know, listening is far more important than speaking, I think you can develop it. Um, I think it's a, a, a definitely a leadership skill that's incredible to have in your, in your toolkit. Um, I, I think with those guys, um, like Brian told me a story. He said when, when, when he was leaving, when he was leaving the farm in, in, um, uh, in Viking, Alberta, to go to the then, um, they weren't the rebels then, but the, the junior team in Red Deer, his dad dropped him off and said, listen, um, you know, I've got harvest coming. So you better make the team because I'm not coming. I can't come back. We've got harvest. <laughs> and and that's, that was it, you know, and, and he actually got cut and he rang his dad and his dad said, you better go and talk to the coach because I'm harvesting. I'm not coming to get you. So he went back in, spoke to the coach, got a second tryout, made the team and ended up being captain. So, uh, and same thing when he got, when he, when he got drafted to St. Louis, his dad pulled him up. He called it the top barn. I'm not even sure what that means, but, um, I think it's like the top tier of a barn, like the, the loft and sat him down and said, listen, don't ever forget. You're just a, you're just a farmer from central Alberta going to play a game and never, ever forget where you've come from. And that was it. That was his, that was his chat. And, and off he went to, to, to St. Louis. So, um, and I think it comes from that. I think it just comes from the fact that he, he'll go on a rant about pretty full on hockey talk. And then at the end of it, say, Oh, just remember that I'm just a farmer from central Alberta. So, you know, don't take me too seriously. Um, you know, and he, he just, I think that's where it comes from. He, he just, um, He's just never forgotten where he's where he's come from, and he and he 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 gives people time. Like he, you know, if he respects you and 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 he likes having you around, then you know he'll he'll give you everything. Yeah, so so authentic, right? Do you think um, that being present, uh, cell phones and Apple watches and the the need to having to check social media? I find even if I'm talking to someone or in a meeting, um, it's difficult sometimes to stay focused because we're so tied to our phones these Absolutely. days. But I know a lot of those older guys, particularly from rural areas, um, yeah. like you wouldn't, he probably wouldn't be breaking eye contact to check his messages on his cell phone, right? No, nah, well, Satsi, Satsi's got a flip phone from like 1993. Seriously. And, uh, and he was devastated because he lost it in a paddock. <laughs> But uh, nah, nah, there's no, uh, there's no, um, nah, there's definitely a, a connection there that, that's different. And, um, but the thing is that he's, so here's a perfect example. He's a guy that grew up in an area, in an era where, you know, I mean, you hear all the stories, um, you know, the, the NHL has gone through it at, at nauseam over the last 12 or 18 months about, you know, those guys that came up um, in, in that old school sort of era and the way that it flowed onto their coaching. But, you know, he, he can connect with, a, with an 18-year-old in, in Innisfail on a 
Wednesday night at eight o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, and he's getting nothing for it, but, but he's, so he's, he's definitely, um, you know, he can still make connections with, and, and that's what it taught me is that it's more about trying to make the connection, not trying to, and trying to do it in their world, not trying to, you know, walk in the, the change room and say, Rono, everyone's cell phones have to go in this bucket. You know, no one looks at their phone for the next three hours, you know, and all that. Like, um, you know, I think you've got to, you've got to try and do it. And I, I notice it even here at work, um, you know, managing, managing some of the younger crew, you know, you, you've sort of got to step into their world a little bit and um, navigate your way through that. And, and that's how you make a connection. Like if you try and do it your way, it's, they're, they're like, they think you're from Mars or something, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Look, I want to talk, um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to talk no. a little bit team tactics. Yep. So as a coach now, after all you've learned, um, how much do you rely on, on your team tactics? I like to have, um, I, I moved away from, from teaching um, black and white systems to teaching concepts, defensive zone concepts, neutral zone concepts, um, offensive zone concepts. Because what I, what I found is that you could then work systems in and amongst those concepts and guys sort of understood it far better um, rather than, rather than being so X's and O's that the defenseman thinks that he has to turn left every time he gets to the puck and put it to the right-hand boards because that's what our breakout looks like. Um, and that was definitely me early days. I'm like, what, what are you, you know, and, and then realizing that you, so generally speaking, if I, if I break it down, probably pretty tactical, deep defensive zone, especially against certain players. Um, and to be honest, in our league, it, it can be condensed down to sometimes players rather than lines almost. Like you might be a certain way against a certain player um, and, and try and corral them to a certain degree. Um, probably, yeah, very probably defensive structured. Neutral zone, um, it's, it's usually about just trying to get through there quickly um, and not turning the puck over and, and, and playing more possession. So that's probably the... Um, uh, a little bit of the North South North American influence, but also probably that Swedish influence from working with those guys around puck possession. And then in the offensive zone, I like to give four or five concepts and then just let the guys be like Picasso and let it, let it flow, let it happen. And um, that's, but, but that's come out of years of, of probably being far more, you know, okay, we do this, 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 and this, and then, the game unfolds in a different way. And, you know, we're, we're halfway through the, the third period, we're down five, two, and I'm still saying you do this, 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 and this, you know what I mean? And um, that was, that one of, that's probably my biggest regret in coaching. I had a gut feeling about four minutes into the grand final against the Mustangs in 2014, that our energy was way off. And I was gonna call a timeout and thought, no, I'm gonna look stupid if I do that. And I, it, it still burns me that I could have maybe just put a wedge and reset. Might not have changed the outcome, but it, it's, always, it's always really gnawed at me that I, I knew some, we weren't on, you know, and I knew early and, and I, I let it flow and thought, you know, oh, yeah, but, you know, who takes time out four minutes into a game? Well, you know, a coach that can feel the energy is not good does. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. um, 
Yeah, so probably I've shifted a lot away from more, as I said, more concepts rather than hard and fast systems um, because hard and fast systems don't necessarily coincide in my, in my world to a game that happens as fast as ours does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you want, you don't want players being bogged down by thought, right? You want no, them to be able to no, just exactly. be free it's and play, it's, have it's responsibilities, a, but be free and play. Absolutely. And, and the game's too fast. The game, the game's too fast. Um, uh, one of the coaches over there used to say to me, the game's too quick for react and act. You've got to blend the two. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, there's there's no there's no time for the gap in between reacting to something and then acting in a way to 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 you it's got to all almost happen instantaneously so um so we do a lot of training now where say we're working with our 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 defensemen where we just teach them to make good reads whatever's unflowing it's like reading a book get to page one read it that takes you on to page two read it what are you doing you're just gaining information so you're mapping things out and then all you have to do when you arrive on the puck then is actually execute the skill because you've already made the read what our guys tend to do is they try and make the read and execute the skill at the same time and it yeah you know it's really difficult yeah layers um I guess from your time with the Melbourne Ice, what's been a, a tactic or a concept that, that's brought you a lot of success if you, had, if you could pick one? Um, I think our ability to, um, to be defensive zone coverage, um, really, really strong there and then able to really quickly shift that into transition offense um, was probably something that we trained really hard at. We used to call it, we used to call it getting back to home base. Um, we used to be able to get back to home base and defensive zone coverage positions really quickly. Um, and then we were able to probably execute on overloading pucks and then moving quickly into, into sort of catching teams out, going the other way. Um, I, I, remember, I remember getting caught out by Fridge against you guys where, where we were playing in that, in that crazy grand final. And we, we had a, a sort of a left wing or weak side lock going against you guys. And he outsmarted me and, and started getting UD guys to flip pucks over the top of us. And you were gone. And I was like, bastard. <laughs> you know, we, we couldn't shut you down, if you remember. In that, and that game was, was crazy. And, and, you know, to lose in a shootout is, um, you know, talk about getting a dagger in the heart. But, <laughs> um, but when you look back, you, 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 I think about those games and like, you know, there's a shift I should have made. Like he, he made a read, realized that that um, trying to break out against our left wing lock, we were we were catching you out, and you guys just started flipping. You know, pucks high glass, pucks over the top, and you were gone, and yeah. and it broke us down really quickly. I think it was in the second period. So he might not have even been conscious of that, but he definitely did it. And um, I don't know if that was a direct um, a direction from him to you guys, but. Um, yeah, so there's a great example of, of being caught out, you know, and then not, not, not shifting, not realising till later and looking back at the game and going, man, we, you know what, you know, we, we didn't make an adjustment. Yeah. With, when you've been overseas, have you seen or have you witnessed a tactic uh, or concept that they've used over there that you'd not seen here in Australia? Um, definitely a really strong defensive one-two-two. 
I hadn't seen it executed um, so well because the guys know how to move around the ice so well and, and um, trying to break out against a, a really strong defensive one, two, two um, was, was a, a, a real eye opener, but B was incredibly frustrating because when you see it unfold in front of you, it looks like you can walk through it, like putting, you know, a knife through hot, through hot butter, but the puck doesn't come out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so, so frustrating when it's, when it's run well. So that was probably one, um, one that I saw a lot. Um, and also probably the way that they're able to execute plays off draws. That was probably the other thing. Yeah. Face-offs are, are so yeah. key. And that's interesting that, that you said that kind of high one, two, two is, I agree with you. I see that used a lot overseas and very little here in Australia because yep. I find the patience isn't here in Australia yet to yeah. when players kind of sit back, they almost feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything here. Correct. Yeah, Although mate, you're actually being very effective by holding you, your ground and being good. You positionally. Know, you're spot on like, um, and, and it's funny, you, you're absolutely right because that's the way they see it. I remember playing a game at Canberra and, um, and I remember yakking to a fan over a beer, Canberra fan actually, uh, after the game. And, um, and he said, oh, it was so weird to watch you guys like just standing around in the defensive zone. Um, you know, and obviously, yeah, but, but we actually, like we, I think we outshot him maybe two to one and won the game, you know, yeah, seven, two or seven, three or something. So our defensive zone coverage obviously worked incredibly well, but yeah, to, to him, we would, we were, why were you just standing around there? Like that was strange to see, you know? Um, and you're right. I, I think there, if, if hockey is such a fast spectacle that if things happen slowly, it seems wrong. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't feel natural for players over here. Ah, that's for no, sure. they, they, they get, yeah. It's like, uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Look, and face-offs as well. Yeah. Oh, so key. So key. Look, when you're working with adult or pro hockey players, so similar to like your Innisfail team or, or the AIHL players here, how much yep. do you value video versus practice time when you're adjusting um, a team tactic or system? Like what's more I, valuable? I, I like video. The thing I love about video is it doesn't lie mm -hmm. and it doesn't make a liar out of you or it doesn't make it a combative situation with you and the player because you're both looking at it. And... Um, how often do they look at you and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I did that. But if you're telling them, um, and I think that's why the, the, the iPads on benches and things like that in the, in, in the, in the pro leagues um, are such an amazing tool because it's real-time real -time feedback. Yeah. Um, but it's real-time feedback that's not combative feedback because you're actually just showing them and there you like I know with the pro guys, like you show them something, they 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 make the call themselves, like and then they make the adjustment. Like you're almost you you're almost just going through a, a making them aware more than actually trying to teach them anything because they they look at it and go, Oh geez, yeah, yeah, that was that was bad. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like about video is that it once you've broken down um, the anxiety that players get from watching video and um, the, the, the anxiety that builds up when they think they're going to be put on the spotlight. Um, and I think the way any, any young coaches, the way to do that is to spend a lot of time 
finding things they do well and showing those yeah and mixing in the other stuff because how many times have you sat in a video session where the whole 45 minute video session is just all the mistakes the team make yeah totally. just highlighting all the errors and yeah. and and that was the other thing i learned a lot was that guys over there would say often you know find guys doing things well and you'll get a mile out of compared to showing them all the things they do wrong mm. and um, so early video sessions, yeah, you, I might spend the first 10 minutes going, oh, guys, we did this, 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 maybe sneak in a, no, I know they call it the sandwich theory, but sort of similar sort of any sort of feedback theory where you, you know, you, you maybe build a foundation of, um, you know, making them see, oh, yeah, I did that. And then, then you, can, you can work in your, yeah. your deficiencies. Yeah, I heard a great saying um, from, a, from a coach at, uh, when I was doing the HP wine and it's, what you show is what you'll get. So if you show a bunch of negative or teaching clips, as, as we call them, yep. um, you're probably going to keep still getting those uh, negative or more yeah. teaching clips. But if you show something good, you'll get more of the good. Oh, so absolutely. the balance and, is important. And the thing is that, you know, if they've left a game, say the AIHL, they've left a game on a Saturday night, a lot of diligent players watch the replay on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. So by the time it comes to the Tuesday, they, they know already so, yeah. you know, you can imagine the apprehension that then builds up if they think they're going to get highlighted in the first 10 minutes of the video session before practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I used to try and do is I used to try and, if there was anything blaring, I'd usually address it on the Sunday or the Monday. Yeah, yeah. So that by the time it got to Tuesday, they were almost laughing about it, you know, that became, you know, the boys get, you know. You show, a, you show a, a clip where it's something blaring and the, you know, the banter kicks in and <laughs> yeah. you know, it can become tough and, and in some ways can be looked at um, you know, humiliating a guy, which is, which is the last thing you want to do. You know? and, um, For sure. So yeah, you've got to be really careful with video. Amazing tool, um, but you've got to use it in, 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 its, in the best way. Yeah. But, but do you think it's more valuable? Like if you were, say you had to adjust from a, from a one, two, two to a more passive, like a higher one, two, two, do you think you can achieve that quicker with an adult group? Not, I'm not talking about kids, but do you think you can achieve yep. that quicker through video or through yeah, walking through? Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the high, those high end pro guys, I mean, the guys at Innisfail, the lowest level they'd played NCAA, um, U sport or major junior. Mm. That was, that was the lowest level they played. So these guys were, was, were all serious hockey players. So, um, you know, you could, you could whiteboard a change because they, 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 yeah. they, they, they understand it. They get it. They're, they're, um, they can make shifts and adjustments really quickly. Video, even better. Like you can, yeah. you know, you jump on an iPad on a, on a bus ride home yeah. and by the time you get, you know, two beers in, they, they know exactly where you're at. You know, and look, that's important for all the, the young coaches out there. That's why we need to teach kids how to make adjustments on a whiteboard, how to take value from video, because when yeah. they get to that high level, that's where a lot of the teaching's done. So if they, if they have to walk through it on the ice and feel it, they may get left behind. Yeah. They need to be able to make those adjustments on the fly. Yeah. And look, the, the amazing thing, uh, I was lucky enough... Um, I was lucky enough to, to jump on a couple of sessions um, where, where the assistant coaches of the Rebels just had um, like maybe fourth line guys that didn't see a lot of ice or the, the, the fourth D pair um, and, and just the way that they structured a practice 
to work on. Like there was a guy that for 15 minutes did a figure eight and just caught backhand passes for 15 minutes nonstop. Wow. You know, and there was another, there was the, there was a D that, um, you know, Alexiev that played for Russia in U18, he's playing, he was drafted to Washington. Okay. So he's a, he was there and he, yeah. he did one T, um, one T slappers from the top of the circle for maybe 10 minutes straight. And the, they actually, the, the teaching that they were doing, they had two sticks behind him. So he had to judge it and move into the puck rather than, you know how all our guys will back up for a one-timer and wait for the puck to come. And then your energy's going backwards, not going forwards. And that was awesome. Like, and he's just, you know, he's just punt, but you could just see the timing, you know, and, and, you know, the, the A coaches are firing rockets at him and, um, and he's blasting them into the back of the net. But um, yeah, just those little skill sessions. Um, and just, you know, you just feel, you, you go home just feeling a little bit downhearted that, you know, imagine if we had that type of ice time. Like, you know, oh, absolutely. You could break Repetition down. is the mother of oh, skill. man, you know, or you've got a, you've got a young D guy and you're just for 10 minutes pumping pucks around the boards, getting him to peel them off, get to the middle and get a shot off. Like, and they're just doing it over and over mm. and over and over. Mm. You know, it's, it's unreal. Look, a few quick hitters to finish. Um, yeah, but Your most memorable moment as a coach. Uh, man, um, there's been a lot, um, being on the bench with Brian for the first time, um, was, was, was pretty incredible. Um, being, winning the cup in 17 was definitely, um, a highlight probably more because you get to spend that, um, you know, with, you know, Jacob's running around on the ice, you know, Bella's collecting pucks and, and Kirsty's mm. on the ice with you and, you know, Johan and Glennie and families and Joey and Vinny and like all the crew. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, photos with, with Jaff and, and, you know, Josh Pulse and um, yeah. So that, that's, that's a pretty, pretty, you know, and lifting it with Johan cause we've been through, you know, you know, that people don't realize that the, the, the cup in 17 with Charles, I mean, that was an idea that Johan was hitting me up with after we lost a final in 2013. You know what I mean? That was, that was a four year build and, and he created all of that. So, um, um, you know, so that was, that was pretty special. And, you know, um, you know, we're, we're, we're funny because we're, we're really opposite. Like he's, he's, um, crazy passionate and, and, you know, everyone that knows him knows that, um, you know, and I'm probably a little bit more reserved, but, um, but yeah, that there was a lot of emotion that night probably because of so much went on for that to happen. Yeah. That, oh man, what a special team. A moment you wish you had back as a coach. Uh, so many, the first, the first year, especially first year or two, um, Burning players, burning players that didn't fit into boxes. Um, and that was my lack of insight, my lack of um, ability to identify skill sets um, and, um, you know, players that I've got now that are playing really well that I could have had playing at that level back then, three or four years ago, if, if, if I had half a clue. 
Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of regrets there because that was that was emotionally hard. Um, uh, that was when I first realised um, the incredible impact emotionally you can have on another human in a sporting sense um, because they do care so much and and you care so much, but it you know you don't think it fits at the time and. Um, Yes, that so yeah, but yeah, it's it's um, there's a, there's quite a few regrets there around um, around you know decisions that were made um, through um, immaturity, really as yeah. a coach, and something we've all been through or will all go through as a coach. And look, it's the hardest part of it. And anyone anyone, I, I can only stress this enough. Anyone who thinks that you can play it off as professional. Oh, we've got to act professional. We've got to, you know, we've, we've, you know, this guy's not good enough or that guy's not good enough. And you're making calls on people and you think you can do that in an unemotionally challenging way. Um, you've really got to, you've really got to second think differently about the whole thing. It, it's part of it. It's an incredibly difficult part of it. It's something you've got to own as a coach. Um, but I think you've got to go in um, really understanding the impact that you, that you can have. Totally. Do you use a game a game card on the bench? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Only because I'm a space cadet, and um, <laughs> I have uh, you know, as I said, I'm still way too emotional, far too emotional. Um, you know, I've, there was there was some funny times there where um, you know a game would get a bit chippy, and and I'd be halfway over the boards, and Glennie'd be grabbing me on the back. And, <laughs> Um, you know, and yeah, so I, I need it because it dials me back in. Yeah, it's a, oh, it's a great, a great thing to have for, for that reason in particular, just to bring you back to you yeah, know, what you're emotional. doing and why. For sure. Um, if your players had to describe you in one word, what would it be? Oh, shit. Uh, man, would that be what I would hope that they would describe me of or the way that they might? Well, maybe, maybe both. <laughs> Um, look, to be honest, um, it would be probably that word. If, if they said that he was honest, a little bit raw, humble enough to know he didn't know everything and um, was able to have hard conversations in the best possible way, if that's a thing. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, look, Brent, I'll, I really appreciate your time, mate. That's been a, a long one, but a lot of value there for coaches, a lot of insight um, and someone I really enjoy talking to. So, nah, look, it's, and, and mate, I, you know, when, when the email came through, I couldn't jump at it quick enough. Um, you know, I've got an enormous, enormous amount of respect for, for you guys up there for what you guys have done for a long time. Um, and obviously I was, um, I was absolutely gutted that, um, that the D18s got canned because um, I think you're going to do an incredible job and, and I think it's something you can do and bring a lot of value to for a long time for a lot of, a lot of um, you know, young players will come through that system and, and I think they'll be really better for it. So, it's, yeah, I was really gutted for you. Um, I, I was really excited uh, as a coach uh, and a past coach of that team. Um, you know, I couldn't have thought of anyone better to pass the baton to. So I was, I was gutted for you um, when it when it got oh, canned. I and I appreciate and it I, that, I, You know, I hope um, I hope it comes up quick and and you, you jump back in the saddle because um, I think yeah you'll do a great job. Thanks, mate. And and uh, look, I really, you know, I've spoken to yourself and laughs. Um, yep. You know, somewhat regularly, and and I just think you guys have 
particularly with last year's team, just uh, I walked into a great situation, um, you know, and I wanted to kind of carry on the legacy you guys have left because you it's guys awesome. did, did some things that had never been done with that team. Yep. Um, it's, it's, a great, it's a great age. It's an amazing age. Um, it's a challenging age, but man, we've had some great kids come through and, and yeah. you know, it's, it, there's a lot of pride in, in a lot of those teams and, um, you know, it's an amazing thing. And, and this is the, the great uh, gift that you'll get from it. You know, when you turn up to a Tange or a Brown and, and the boys are there, you know, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, you, 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 and, and I think that's what I love about being, um, I, I personally think my personality suits better being an assistant coach rather than a head coach, because um, I struggle a little bit with a little bit of the separation that you may need. Um, yeah. But in a team like that, where you've only got them for training camp and then the tournament, you're, you're right in it. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not like yeah. a team for a season where it's important to have that separation. I think um, when you've got 16 to 18 year olds in a tournament scenario, you, you, you are right in it. You're right immersed in it. And um, yeah, look, I, as I said, mate, I was, I was, I was gutted for you and, and um, you know, it can't come quick enough for you to jump behind that bench. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, oh, look, myself, the staff and all the players that are itching to get going and fingers yeah. crossed for 2021, for the AIHL, yeah. for, for the tournaments, for everything. We just want to get uh, life back to normal and hopefully, well, hopefully some things can happen this year, but I'm really hoping that 2021 is, is a year that's back to normal for everyone. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll uh, cross paths in, uh, in Calgary again sooner or later. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. Do you, 